Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. This morning, we're continuing our series called Thinking Biblically. Last week, we heard from Brother Paul Johnson, who shared with us from the biblical scriptures concerning appropriate stewardship of our finances. And today, we are now talking about appropriate stewardship of our time and our talents and our gifts. Now, before we begin, uh, I'd just like to remind everyone what a steward uh, is and what stewardship means. Uh, Recall that a, a, a steward is a manager of someone else's property, another's property. Is the steward the owner? No. Is the steward responsible? Yes. Whatever the steward does with the property will have consequences. And this is precisely why this message this morning is so very important for us to lean into. Because we are stewards. Just as we will have to give an account for our money and how we steward our money, we will also have to give an account for how we steward our time and the gifts that the good Lord has given us. This is serious business that you and I are entrusted with. And for those of you who who always kind of really wanted that higher upper management position, let me just say, God looks at you and he says, you're hired. You have it, and you have been given certain, certain things to work with, to manage, time and gifts. And so this is some serious business, and we need some divine wisdom from on high and how we should manage these things. Now, thankfully for us, the, the Word of God says just a few things about the stewardship of our time and of our gifts. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to read the scriptures together to see what God has to say. That way we can steward these things wisely in our lives. So if you don't mind, if you're able to be standing uh, for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you uh, enable us to to use our time and our gifts wisely. Uh, Lord, we pray right now that we would hear what you have to say, that we would obey what you have to say, that we may glorify you and we may leave this place changed and looking more like our Savior. Lord, we just love you and we pray you would do a miraculous work in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
You may all be seated. Now, uh, to help understand uh, sort of the structure of the message this morning, uh, I think we need to just briefly mention something about time, right? It's a very complicated thing. Um, Now, what do I mean? Uh, I mean that time can be used without appropriately using gifts, but if you're using gifts, you're necessarily using time, right? Time is a flowing sort of thing, and so because that's the case this morning, we're going to start by looking at the stewardship of time, and then once we we talk about how we should sort of be managing our time, we're going to hone in on the gifts and and then uh, dive a little deeper into that and how we should be Uh, stewarding those gifts. So let's jump into this message this morning by starting to talk about the stewardship of time. First, we see this in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. It says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, well, this sounds pretty obvious, right? Just uh, use, use your time wisely, right? Pretty, pretty simple. But let me tell you, it is easy to not be careful and to ignore this command to make the most of our time. I so often myself can fall into a pattern of just carelessness, not really paying attention the way that I should. You know, being on autopilot, so, so yes, in a sense, this command is sort of obvious, but, but in another sense, it is here in the scriptures for a reason, brothers and sisters, and that is because we so easily can treat our time frivolously rather than with the utmost care. So let us not be so naive as to think that this command to be wise and to make the most of every opportunity only applied to the church in Ephesus, only applied to those people back then. They were the ones with the real problem. No, this is preserved in God's word. And so, friends, it applies to us. It applies to the church in Somerset, too. We need to be Careful, paying extra special close attention to how it is we are using our time. One commentator writes, the idea of taking care suggests something that does not come naturally or instinctively, but a way of life that requires some concentration. The Christian life is thoughtful, reflective, and it takes the road less traveled. This is a call to walk, that is to live moment to moment in a certain way. A continual need to remind ourselves to be careful moment by moment, pausing constantly and asking, God, what would you have me do? Often, we do not ask that. And with, with, we, we need to be doing this moment by moment. As often we re- as we remember, with each passing second, we should be reminded I need to be careful with this great gift that has been given me. The wise steward is careful to make the most of every opportunity. And this, this verb here actually translates, could translate redeem, redeeming. It was an economic term with the idea of, of purchasing something. And remember, we're, we're stewards. We don't own this stuff. We're managers of time. And, and now we're redeeming that time. You ever hear the phrase, time is money? 
Now, such a phrase usually is usually used inappropriately, such with like a hidden self-serving agenda underneath it, right? The person usually saying it is concerned with mostly themselves. But there is a sort of truth to that phrase, because in a sense, it is indeed a resource which we spend and we can never get back and we must give an account for. Friends, every second on this earth, we're making a purchase. What kind of purchases are we making with our life? Are we on autopilot becoming like the lazy sloth and idleness? Are we purchasing the self-made, self-centered American dream with most of our time? I can't, cannot help but urge all of us to go before the Lord and to honestly examine ourselves with, with how much time we waste on idle pleasures carelessly, not, not being careful with our time. I was reading one source that said people spend uh, about five hours a day on their phone now, nowadays, and then another two hours usually watching television. And so over the course of a year, almost 30% of your year is gone doing this. I hope that that's not the church and that if, if we are using these things, that we're using them wisely, making a good purchase with the, t- with the time we have. A Christian steward needs to be careful, not on autopilot, making the most of every opportunity. And, and why is that the case? It says, because the days are evil. The days are evil. Brothers and sisters, these days indeed are evil. And there is a work to be done that you and I are called to do. Make wise decisions with your time. Right? The, the reason that we can't be frivolous and, and kind of lay back and take it easy is because there is so much evil in this world. And this, this seems to imply right here, this command, it seems to imply that we need to be living on mission, opposing the evil forces of this world, not laid back, letting them affect us. That is the sort of care that is needed if we're to use our time wisely. We have to actively, moment by moment, be thinking this way. Because we can so easily get caught up in the world and these these evil temptations and become unproductive. And, And friends, more than ever right now, the Christian needs to be the light in this very dark world. Take a look at what's on TV. Do you want to be on autopilot? with that kind of stuff entering your mind? Look at what's taught in our schools. Can we be on autopilot with what is being taught? More than ever, friends, we need to be alert, influenced by by God, and, and, and then make a change in these things instead of letting them make a change in us. Seize the day. Seize the day. The Christian cannot be careless and expect to shine brightly in a dark world. So what we're going to do from here is we're going to look at how, to, uh, you know, how wise stewardship uh, actually sort of plays out. What being careful might look like. What being careful and having a sort of moment-to-moment examination, how it can manifest. And so here is what we see. We see that the wise steward first is careful to consider God. Psalm 90, verses 11 and 12. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according 
to the fear that is due you. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. As mentioned, thoughtlessness and, uh, you know, uh, or excuse me, thoughtfulness and genuine care doesn't come naturally. Thoughtlessness is sort of like, you know, what, what we will shift into most of the time. And so we first must consider uh, that there is a God that we are accountable to. And, and recognize that that God is due our fear. When we're deciding what to do in the moment to moment, in the daily things of life, do we pause and ask, God, what would you have me do? Do you, do you fear him? It is always wise, wise stewardship of time to pause and consider the Lord and to consider his judgment. It says he is due our fear and he is due an account of every wasted second. It says that he has anger and fury. And sometimes we push back at, at God being a judge, but, but really he is the judge of all who roam the earth. Will you use your time with this in mind? I, I pray we do. Remember the parable of the talents? The master will return and examine how we managed all that was given us. And, and in this parable, in, in his judgment on the servant who squandered the opportunity to invest, he says in Matthew 25, 26, you worthless, lazy slave. And then he describes what happens. He says, the worthless slave will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you're getting up, going through your agenda for the day, is, is this even a consideration? I believe we often don't use our time well because we don't take seriously the fear that the Lord is due. And certainly there is abundant grace and forgiveness in Christ. But based off of Christ's words, I would argue that anyone who has been redeemed in Christ will also, in abundant joy, have their time redeemed in a worthy manner for his glory. And, and look, I would be foolish to stand up here and to pretend to know each and every circumstance and complexity and what sort of leisure can be God-glorifying and what is not, nor do I understand the complexity of human limitations and how much sleep we should be getting and how much time we should be spending doing things. I don't know. I am not that smart. But you know what? God is. And we are responsible to him. Be careful to consider God in your stewardship of time because he can condemn us. Moving onwards, we see that the wise steward of time is careful to consider that time is limited. Part of wise stewardship is a realistic understanding that you don't have infinite time on your hands. Psalm 39, verse 4, Lord, make me know my end and what is, my, what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Again, we need a keen understanding that we don't necessarily have tomorrow. We can't be neandering thinking that we have infinite time on our hands and that you know, we can sort of get stewardship right tomorrow. You know, it's a foolish thing to say. What a foolish way to steward our time. I'll figure out how to wisely steward time tomorrow. <laughs> but we so often do this. It, it doesn't, 
that, that understanding, it doesn't sense the urgency of, of time. It doesn't appreciate the limitedness of, of the time we have been given. Now, <laughs> I, I want to be careful here because I myself am uh, only 28, but I think this might capture something based off of a lot of conversations I had. Remember feeling young and being young? Feels like you just had infinite time ahead of you, didn't it? When you were 10 years old, remember? You couldn't possibly imagine what it was like for your body to start breaking down, for your back to consistently hurt, for your hairs to become gray or to fall out. But doesn't it turn out, friends, that our 10-year-old selves were really wrong? In reality, our time is passing and it is limited. It's passing each second, and we're not guaranteed tomorrow, so we cannot live as if we are indestructible. What does James say? He says that you are like a vapor, appears for a little while, and then it vanishes. We are frail, we are finite, and we only have a certain number of days ahead of us. And this applies, by the way, even though I spoke about being old, this applies to young people as well. You never know when your moment could come to pass. Look at these school shootings. You just don't know. But what I do know is that Scripture says it's like a vapor. So we need to be careful and we need to be using it wisely. And if you're not, and, and if, if this truth isn't really pressing into your heart, if there's no urgency here, if, this, this, if, if you're not feeling the heat of this passage, then do exactly what the psalmist does. Pray, God, show me my, my, the extent of my days. Show me the limitedness of my time that I may wisely steward what has been given. A good steward will always make decisions and, and use their time with this, uh, this in their mind. And next we see that the wise steward of time is careful to consider future consequences Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 28 and 29, it says, For they are a nation lacking in counsel, and there is no understanding in them. Would that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would discern their future. In, chapter, in this chapter in Deuteronomy, it highlights the song of Moses, in which Moses is commenting regarding the Lord's judgment of Israel. Right, God's people lacked wisdom and understanding, leading them to worship pagan gods and resulting in this judgment. And that's not really a new story. That happens quite a bit. But I would like to focus on what Moses points out here, what's pointed out in the scripture. It emphasizes that wisdom involves discerning the future. Even though they were told time and time again, don't worship the idol. The people didn't have the wisdom to, to look at what was told them by God and discern the future of, of their actions. And so they, they fell into judgment. According to Moses, this lack of wisdom in discerning the future res, resulted in all of this mess. This point is very similar to the point we made earlier about fearing God and recognizing God in our decisions. We often use our time to sin, not thinking about the future results of it. 
But these sins, they lead to judgment and to our misery. And so, so here's a general point. Wise time management considers that sin is always a bad purchase to make with our time and, and also considers that the scriptures tell us in advance the consequences of these things. We don't need to waste our time sinning. God has given us his word. We don't need to figure it out by ourselves. He said, if you do this, that will happen. We don't need to waste time experimenting to find out how stupid we are. <laughs> Couldn't think of a better word there, sorry. But I, probably, it's true. We shouldn't waste our time being deceived by sin when the scriptures are clear about the results. And you know, when most people come to this realization and they repent for these various sins, there's usually an overwhelming sense of wasted time that they get hit with. I've wasted so much time. I've heard, heard that said. Now, this doesn't mean that in God's great grace, he can't redeem even our mistakes and turn evil on its head for our good. But the point remains, the sinner has redeemed time un unwisely when they could have been serving the Almighty. And so we must keep that in mind. Anyone who is managing time wisely will not manage it by investing in awful sins that destroy what we're supposed to be doing and result in judgment. Discern the future and do so, friends, by God's word. He gave us the word that we may not waste time trying to do things our own way. Glorify him by depending on him in what he has said, by putting faith in his word and living moment to moment, considering what he has spoken. Wise stewardship of time considers future consequences. Next, we see that it carefully considers outsiders as well. Colossians 4 verse 5, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be seasoned with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So now here we see that the careful time management again describes uh, this time it manifests in making sure that we are using our time to have optimal interactions with outsiders. Our time should be used as a testimony by which we declare the gospel wisely and with grace and with words seasoned with salt. While sin, you see, is a waste of time, sharing God with outsiders is never a waste of time. The Christian man managing their time should anticipate evangelism, prepare for it, pray about it, seek it out. That is a wise redemption of time. Such a thing will always be a wise purchase for the saint to make that they will not regret when the master comes back. And how much time, friends, do we spend considering this? Orienting our, our, our life around gospel interactions with outsiders? How much time do we prepare in prayer about this? I, I remember even just praying, Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. And that was sort of like something that uh, a, a wise brother told me. Just, just pray for opportunities. You'll start seeing them. 
And, and I prayed, and that day the Lord provided an opportunity. Someone's car broke down at work. And while that might not be great for them, I said, here's an opportunity that God has given me to share the gospel. Not wasted moment. Not a wasted moment. This is how we should go about planning our day. In prayer, give me an opportunity to, to share your love with somebody today. And to... to uh, have speech seasoned with salt. How much time do we spend, uh, you know, stu studying and knowing God's word and, and contemplating his love so we can have it spill out of us in a certain way? How much time do we spend preparing for these conversations and then actually having these conversations happen? Have we become a Christian club in which we fail to see our time as a testimony to others outside the church? The wise use of time will always involve a good opportunity uh, or, or making uh, the most of the opportunity with outsiders. And Colossians assumes that time should be spent used interacting with these individuals with gracious love. Any second oriented around such a goal is not wasted. Friends, it is never a waste of time to proclaim the gospel to that family member. It is never a waste of time proclaiming the gospel to that person sitting next to you on the bus. It is never a waste of time to proclaim the gospel to that, that, that co-worker. Never, never, never. It is a, a, a way we can seize the opportunity and, and give a good account when the Lord returns. Scripture tells us make the most of your time, uh, make the most of your opportunity with outsiders. Imagine that he comes back and we say, oh, I told no one of the gospel. I spoke with no one. I didn't really think about that when I was planning my day. So, sorry, God. It was clear. It is clear that Christians should spend far, far more time concerning, uh, concerning evangelism to the outside world. Next we see that the wise steward of time is careful to serve others through love. Galatians 5, 13 to 14, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Time well used is always time spent loving and serving our brothers and sisters in Christ. That, too, is never a wasted moment. When we give that account before the Lord and say, I served my brother and sister with love, God will smile. If we are acknowledging God in our time, then we are also acknowledging his, his commandments. And what does it say in John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. What does it say in our text here? It says the law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, love your neighbor as yourself. For the, for the redeemed have, not been made, have, have been made free not to just live selfishly, but to give free to exhibit loving service with one another in mind. This is a wise use of time. In the planning of our time, are we prioritizing one another? 
We need to be there for one another when when the other is struggling. We need to be available for those 1 a.m. phone conversations. We need to be cleaning each other's houses. We need to be cooking each other's food, fixing each other's broken household items. I don't know how to fix them. (laughs) Meeting each other's needs, bearing each other's burdens. And this is time-consuming but it is not a waste. And some of us are sitting there and they're saying, well, why, why so time-consuming? I'll tell you why, because the command is not to be slightly involved with one another. The command is to love your neighbor as yourself. The same amount of time we spend on ourselves, we should be spending thinking about one another. And so in the church, I I believe this is done best by using the gifts that God has given us, which I'm going to get into in a minute here, but I first want to just make one final point about how time connects to how we do this. 1 Peter 4, verse 7, it says, In the end, uh, excuse me, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment And sober spirit for the purpose of prayer, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. It is saying, in light of the end of all things, that that time is going to pass away, here's some instructions. Love one another. It is at hand. The end is at hand. It's on its way. It has this idea of imminency that the Lord could return at any moment. And are we going to be found spending time on ourselves or are we going to be found loving one another as a church as he commanded us to? It could happen at any moment, his return. You know, in the, in the 1980s, there was sort of uh, an eschatological emphasis, I, 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 so I hear. <laughs> Sorry about all the, the jabs about age tonight or this morning. Um, that, that means it's sort of a focus on the end times. That's what I meant by eschatological emphasis. And while this movement wasn't always perfect, it seemed like this emphasis from the stories I hear, it, it, it sort of motivated people to live a certain way. To love each other in a certain, certain connected way. Everyone was sort of using their time, their gifts, their houses. Everything was just a little more connected than it seems now. And I wasn't, again, I wasn't around at the height of that, that movement, but I hear that there was a strong sense of community and a beautiful, raw love for one another that came through anticipating Christ's return. A camaraderie of service and love. Why? Because Christ was soon approaching. It was was what people were talking about. And it just sort of resulted in this love. If we find love is lacking in our church, might I suggest alongside Scripture that we need to anticipate God's return the same way once again? The anticipation is scriptural in light of 1 Peter 4.7. It wasn't just some fad or some movement Again, not perfect, but this idea of Christ is returning. It was a positive thing. Should not have been gotten rid of. 
should not have been disregarded. And this urgency and loving service rooted in anticipating Christ's return should be leaned into once again based off of how I read the scripture here. Remember earlier, the wise use of time discerns the future. God's told us in his word, he's coming back. Use your time as if that is true, friends, because it is. Now, this passage in 1 Peter 4 serves in connecting the concepts of time and this urgency to use our gifts to love one another. And so from here, we're going to shift now, more so emphasizing the stewardship of those gifts in loving one another and how they practically manifest. First, gifts are used to steward the manifold grace of God. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now remember, all of this is about stewardship. That is, we are managing something that doesn't really belong to us. And according to this text, it says that we're being the description that we'll get into, it says, if we follow it, we will be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know, these gifts that we have in the church, we didn't earn them. The fantastic preaching we have at this church from, from others, I can't really say that about myself all the time, be a little proudful. <laughs> Your ability to teach your ability to give, your ability to help, it's not really yours at all, according to this. This is something you received. Look at what it says. Each one has received a special gift. Received a special gift. It was given to you. And thus there exists a necessity to steward these things well. Something you received. And how do we do that well? Do we do it by focusing on us? Do we use our, our gifts to help, our, our, our gifts to preach, to teach on us with a focus of us? Is that what they were intended for? Not at all. They're aimed at others. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each has received a gift. Employ it in serving one another. The only way to steward the gifts that we have received well is to orient it towards other people. That is, to, to be a steward of, of a gift, a steward of a, the grace that God has given you himself, it must be stewarded graciously towards others. You know, in our culture, when we receive a gift, it sort of is like something that belongs to us. We open it up and say, this is my gift. But the scripture says we are stewarding a gift that has been given to us. It's very paradoxical and strange. But there's a beauty here, and I don't want you to miss it. Because when this, this, this hit me, when the Lord opened my eyes to this, it was just such a beautiful thing. The world is selfish, but the scripture indicates that we use what has been given us to serve others in love for the common good. When we're preaching, when we're teaching, when we're leading, when we're administrating or exhorting or whatever it be, the focus must, must be on another person, one another, not primarily aimed at building the self up. 
Now, certainly, the self is incidentally involved. I do not deny that. After all, you've been given the gift. But the aim, the ultimate goal, goes beyond that. You're not the centerpiece of your gift. God is in a great display of his love. See, God gave us a gift, a gift, gifts of serving and, and so we could love one another. That's the aim of the gift. And if it's not oriented in that way, it sort of implodes on itself and ruins what it should be. Again, for the world, they, they've been given sort of natural dispositions and talents and some would say, oh, I'm a good singer, or I'm a dancer, teacher, organizer, whatever it is. The unsaved, it's all self-centered, self-aimed, and even most seemingly altruistic acts, they, there's something not right about them. They didn't consider that, that this was from God in, in any way or aim it primarily at others. But you see, the nature of God and the redemption that he's given us means we're free to love one another. Remember Galatians 5? We read it earlier. We are called to freedom, brethren, not only to turn, uh, but do not only turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. When you're exhorting a brother or sister, when you're using a gift of giving, and these things are done in love for others, aimed outward, it is literally God allowing us to participate in his grace. Do you understand what that means? The church is a little taste of heaven on earth. We imitate him. He gives to us. We imitate and give back to others. This is akin to the sort of unity spoken about in John 17. The deep invitation to the Trinitarian love of God himself. Participation. Uh, remember 1 Corinthians, there's all sorts of messy spiritual gifts, and I don't even know how I, how I organize all these in my head. But what I do know is this. The Apostle Paul ends and culminates in 1 Corinthians 13, and he says... All of these gifts are nothing without love. We're not just managing a preacher's gift or a teacher's gift or an administrating gift. The very fact that these things are given themselves, as we discussed, it's a grace of God, it's received. The very fact that it's received means that we are in a very real sense imaging the love of God. I pray this clicks. This is what being a Christian is all about. Actually, the word Christian, it means little Christ. It used to be a term used for, for mocking the church, but they embraced it. And this is the purpose, that we image the God who so graciously gives us so much. We receive grace so that we may graciously love others. Each saint is specially gifted for this loving service. As each one has received a special gift, says each one 
has received a special gift. Every member of the body of Christ has something to offer. You can participate in showing the love of God because God has given you something to give. No believer in this room cannot be used to show and display the manifold grace of our Savior and his love. He has equipped every member of the body with something to bring to the table. So I, I suggest everyone pray about this. Go into detail, pray, pray, study some of these other passages, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and consider what has God graced you with for the common good of the church to serve and to love others around you. You are a part of the body. You are unique as a snowflake, someone put it when I was preparing for this. Unique as a snowflake and have a unique facet of God's love, part of that manifold grace of God to share. He literally, it says elsewhere, preordained good works for you to do. There's something restorative about it. It feels right. It's, it's what we're supposed to do. To serve and to love one another by relying on his love for us. Don't miss that opportunity, friends. It's a beautiful thing. And if stewarded, stewarded well, this could revolutionize the world. If we grasp this, I believe there is still hope for, for small revivals or large revivals in, in this area that are genuine because they recognize God first. Sometimes they're not because these gifts are sometimes pointed at the self, pseudo-revival. But if we pointed at others through, God's, through understanding God's grace, who knows what could happen, friends? Who knows what could happen? We see that there's two types of gifts that are mentioned here. It says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as, uh, as is serving by the strength which God supplies. Our, te our text here indicates these are two main types of ways that you can participate. You can have a speaking gift or a serving gift. An example of a speaking gift would be something like preaching or teaching. Those would both be examples that someone uh, might have to use our, our tongues to declare his truth and his righteousness and to share his grace with others through our mouths. A good example of a serving gift might be something like the gifts of, of help, of helps, the gift of helps. You know, we're doing a, uh, there, there's signups for this new ministry, right? Uh, I, I forget what it's called. It might be called the helps ministry. Uh, I think it ch changed to that, right? Uh, literally, if you're skilled in something, you can use it to show your love to the church by using the gift of, gift of helps, right? Consider these things. Uh, that's, 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 uh, so that's an example of a service gift. Uh, all of these unique facets about us and how God made us and what he's equipped us with allows us to love the church in a very special way that only you can bring to the table because God so wanted to grace you to bring it. Steward it well. Steward it well. You see, the redeemed church of God, again, it's that little taste of heaven on earth as we rely on God's grace to share, with, share love and serve others. So participate in magnifying him and imaging him. And look at this. Again, well, this, this sort of complements it. Speaking the utterances of God. Serving with the strength 
God supplies. So who in the end will get all of the glory? God. Stewardship of gifts ultimately aims to glorify God through Christ. Whoever speaks, whoever serves, is do so, so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ or through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. All Amen. All of these things have a sort of final aim to them. Yeah, I can I can exhibit love to you through preaching and serving. But more fundamental to this is the fact that God is doing something through me. Because I have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Any good, any takeaway that you have today, it's because Christ, it it roots back to his love that he displayed on the cross. The paradigm of all of these good graces Remember to be connected to that true vine. Sort of, again, John 15 or 17 is so good in lining up to so much in Scripture. Uh, I, I encourage you to read that too. But it always goes back to God, to the, to the glory that he himself is due. The glorious grace, a, a participation again in that love that existed from, from the beginning of time that we've been invited into gracious participation in God making much of himself. Oh, that the love of Christ and the glory of God can compel us to use our time and our gifts wisely, exhibiting wisdom and stewarding by asking God, what would you have me do with my time? By asking God, what would you have me do with my gifts? And then just letting him do it through you. It's a beautiful thing. So today, will you begin to daily consider how you spend your time? And also, will you actively seek for ways to show love for and serve others, and might I add to, unto the glory of God and through the glory of God? Participate in this great love. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you that you are faithful to us, that you are the perfect display of love, the perfect display of power and truth. And Lord, we ask that you would help us be more like you. But Lord, we can't be like you. We can't participate unless we first trust and rely on you. And so, Lord, I pray for those who don't know your son who don't know Christ, that they would come to a saving knowledge of him, that they may be invited to participate in your glory. Lord, just pray for this miracle to happen. In Christ's name, amen.